George Harrop is the Chief GM Officer of Step Finance, a web-based application that allows you to track your Solana and Solana transactions all in one place. He was the third worst performing kid at his school. He was always passionate about electronics and would build computers in his spare time. This caused him to get a job at a mining company as an electronics technician. He would build and test the camera systems. He did this for a few years and got promoted several times. In his spare time, he was building Bitcoin miners in his room. He bought his first Bitcoin at around $1.70. This was during the early days of Bitcoin. Eventually, he left his job and he founded and became the CEO of BitSpark, one of the first companies that allows you to send money all over the world with Bitcoin. He had a lot of ups and downs. Listen to learn how George navigated his career during the early days of crypto. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Every sub is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have George Harrop. George, do you mind giving a brief introduction of yourself? Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, uh, my name's George. I, I run a, I guess you'd call it a, a DAO. It's not really a company, uh, but uh, called Step Finance. We're in the crypto world. We can talk a little bit more about that, but uh, I've been in the crypto world for almost 10 years now. And uh, this is uh, you know, a really exciting area, which has sort of been part of my life every single day uh, for the last 10 years. So uh, there's something I'm passionate about. And uh, we're, a, we're a portfolio manager, essentially, for the decentralized finance applications that have been sprouting up massively over the last uh, couple of years. So, um, so that's a little bit about Step. Yeah, so it's called Step Finance. And you mentioned it's a DAO. What is a DAO? A decentralized autonomous organization. So I guess we'll, we'll take a step back. Like, what is a company? Like to to start, you said, "Hey, you know, what's your company?" Well, a company is uh, it's it's a piece of paper that usually is issued by a government that is a way to align human labor, essentially, right? Like, usually have a company, everyone works towards the same goal. You know, you have a CEO, you have a COO, you have profits and accounting and blah blah blah. But uh, you know, do we really need this this piece of paper, or, or are there ways that we can align human labor without these? existing infrastructure that, that's been here. You know, some company incorporations in some countries are good, some are not. So a DAO is essentially a online organization of people which are able to align to a common goal, much like a company. Um, but, uh, but, you know, everyone has a say in the DAO. Maybe you have a way to vote on decisions on the DAO, but it's not a backed by any nation state. So in the crypto world, a lot of a lot of these projects they're actually DAOs. They they don't have a, a company incorporation. They're just a bunch of people on the internet who have a common goal and they're working towards the same thing. So that's what I would say that sort of fits into our category. Oh, I mean that's pretty cool. So would you kind of say it's like buying a stock in an organization, except it has just a little more freedom and easier voting rights kind of thing? Well, I guess you know you don't have to buy it, um, and you know some well, yeah, people you can be awarded it. Could be awarded it, right? You know, you some people work for a DAO. Um, a lot of my friends, they're just on the internet. There, they uh, they don't have any official employer. They don't have an employment contract. They get paid in crypto and they work for a DAO, which is this sort of you know organization in the cloud, right? So I think it's a really cool, like uh, you know, new concept. It's probably only really been around for the last few years, but certainly the crypto world is is taking it and running with it. And, and many of these DAOs, you know, they're worth billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, you know, they're worth. Uh, a lot more than some of the companies which you and I might use and, and know every day. Yeah, no, I mean, it's cool. I, I love the concept. So let's kind of take it back. What did you want to be in high school and how was high school like for you? 
Yeah. So to take it back, I, I guess um, I grew up in Australia um, in the in the nineties, and um, I I guess I never really did that well in in school. I was kind of the teacher would always put on the report card like could have done better. <laughs> <laughs> you know that was kind of the that's pretty much summed up my my early schooling. Um, but uh, I I came from a family which um, and not really that well off. Like my dad was an engineer, my mum was a teacher. Um, but my dad was sort of a part-time engineer. So he would have uh, work for half the year and make money. And then for the rest of the year, he'd be out of a job. So it was kind of a boom and bust cycle. So, you know, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't a, an upbringing of plenty and uh, and that sort of thing. But my parents did save to send me to a nice school. Um, but uh, I, it wasn't a fit for me. Uh, I, I literally, I was, I failed school. I was the like the the third worst performing kid at the end of schooling. Um, the the second and the first worst performing kids they just put their head on the desk. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, no, it was um, didn't you know, work out. You know, it's funny. The last guest was also the third worst performing kid. He was eighty two out of eighty five. So I guess I see a trend. There you go. What happened after high school? You didn't do so well. What ha- what came next? I didn't do so well in high school. Like I couldn't get into university or anything like that, right? So um, I was kind of at that point where a lot of the the culture of certainly that school and you know the peer group and stuff was, oh, you know, everyone goes to university after they finish school, and uh, that's just the progression path that people do. Um, but I couldn't do that, um, so I sort of wandered around a little bit aimlessly. Like I had some some part time jobs here and there. Um, I tried to undertake some like lower level than degree qualifications, like a diploma or something like that. Um, but I only got like halfway through them before I sort of changed my mind and, and tried to do something else. And um, it sort of that sort of set me up to, I, I knew that I, I wanted to do something and I knew what I was good at. At the time, I was very good at electronics engineering. That was my passion. I was always playing with computers. I was building them, you know, in, in you know, my, my spare time and having all of these like crazy water cooling setups and that sort of thing. So I was like, how can I apply this to, to something useful? And uh, yeah, sort of while I was, um, you know, attempting to try and complete one of these degrees, uh, my friend tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, uh, I just got a job at a mining company and they're looking for an electronics technician. You seem pretty apt. Uh, I know that, that you're a guy who knows his stuff. So why don't you, you come on down and come and interview? And, and I did. And I gave up my qualification at the time and uh, and went straight into to working with the mining company. Wow. So let's take it back to high school again. What did you want to be in high school? Uh, I didn't really know, to be honest. Like I, I, I thought that I would do something, something that maybe to do with business, uh, something along those lines. I, but I didn't know other than that. Uh, it was like, you know, well, I don't want to be a doctor or anything. Uh, I sort of get on engineering. But again, I wasn't too good at, at maths. Like I wasn't in the, the smart kids maths class. Um, I, I was literally in, in the quote, dumb kids math class. Um, but um, yeah, you know, I, I didn't really have any clue. You know, I, I left school and uh, didn't have any sort of thought about, you know, where I would go next. And I guess maybe that's the problem with, um, you know, some of the, the schooling system is that you're sort of, everyone is meant to go on a certain path. And if you don't go on that path, then people don't know what to do. Um, I wish I had maybe more mentorship back then. And I could say, hey, you know, what are your skills? What are you good at? What do you enjoy? Maybe you should go and I don't know, learn a trade or do something like that. Um, 
but yeah, at the time, I, I, I didn't really know. Wow. So, okay, you got this electric, you know, mining company job. How was that? It was good. You know, I, at the time, uh, you know, finishing school, working these part-time jobs. My first job was uh, packing boxes or actually unpacking boxes from a loader. Um, so I used to work at a, uh, you know, just a, a supermarket. And uh, it was, I didn't want to do any customer-facing stuff. I'd just be unpacking boxes. But uh, then I got the, the first, I guess, real job, my full-time job at the mining company. And my job was essentially uh, to, to help build and, and QA some of the cameras uh, that this company built. So essentially, you have a mining truck. It's in a mine. It's worth millions of dollars. Uh, you have this camera, which is watching the driver to make sure they're not falling asleep as a safety measure. And if they are falling asleep, then it sounds an alarm and wakes them up. That was the premise of it. And in order to, to manufacture these cameras, required a lot of, uh, you know, sort of manual work. So that, that, that's how I got started. Um, I went out to a few sort of job sites as a, as a trainee technician. And um, yeah, just sort of got into, got into the industry there and got a foothold of it. Um, and, you know, that, that was, when I look back, you know, there was actually quite a lot of learnings that I took from that job. And, and I was doing that for about four years. Um, or three or four years, something like so that. So what were the big things that you learned from this job? When What used to happen is that we're in the manufacturing department, we're, we're building our, our tech, and then say the boss man would come in and he'd be like, hey, we've got to ship these out. We've got to get 20 units you know, tomorrow to, to the job site. And uh, I was kind of the only one who would speak up and be like, hey, in order to do that, we've got to do this. And in order to do that, you've got to do this. And you know, at least I was the one that was able to... Um, when the other people didn't really want to take on that responsibility of being the person to speak up, maybe a little bit intimidating situation. At least I, I guess I, I, I did speak up, and through that, um, you know, the the boss guys sort of noticed. Oh, George is probably the guy that you know is is doing pretty well. He seems to know what's going on, um, mainly because George is the guy that's heard. Uh, so, um, so through that, I, I was promoted a couple of times, and um, and I got uh, I got sent to the actual factory in Taiwan. Um, you know, many, many trips actually where I would, I would go there and I would inspect the manufacturing process to make sure the cameras were built correctly. And, um, and, and, you know, I would, I would come back and, and give reports and so on. But I think that the main learning was that you often half the time is just showing up, but then it's also taking the initiative to be that person, which is willing to, you know, offer some sort of leadership advice or, or be the one who speaks up, um, also reading the room as well, like clearly, you know, the, the, your boss comes into the room and, and they're looking for some sort of outcome, right? They're looking for those 20 units to get shipped tomorrow. Um, so you've got to be that person which can at least be able to eloquently put your position. Hey, can we do it? Yes or no? If we can, great. If we can't, what's the impediment? And yeah, formulate something rather than just being someone that sort of defers it to someone else to solve that problem. So that's why I think, you know, sort of, Getting, getting stuck into things yourself and being that person that steps up is a very important lesson. Oh, that's good. So you stayed at it for years. What came next? Uh, during that time, uh, sort of Bitcoin was, was just kicking off. This was about 10 years ago. And uh, I, was, I was doing it on the side in my spare time. Uh, and I was building Bitcoin miners in my room. Uh, Bitcoin miner is like a computer which like mines Bitcoins and makes you money. Um, so I used, to, I used to build these things because I was that tech guy. Uh, but, uh, but that was, that was like my hobby. That was my passion. You know, I was interested in tech. I was learning about crypto and finance, uh, through that. And, and in 2014, I decided to leave that job and go and start my own company. And I got on a plane to Hong Kong and, uh, founded it with a co-founder of mine and completely left Australia, left the country 
And uh, yeah, I haven't really lived there since. And we started the first uh, Bitcoin remittance company. So we would use Bitcoin to send money, cash in, cash out, instead of the banks um, sending money around the world. So you think of people sending money home to their family, they work in one country, they're sending to another country, that kind of system. And uh, yeah, we were the first in the world to do that. It was, uh, it was super exciting. So I took whatever money I had uh, you know, made during that time and uh, yeah, got on a plane to a brand new country, didn't know anyone uh, you know, with, a, with a friend of mine and, and started this, this new adventure. So when you started mining Bitcoin, what was it? It was like cents or like a dollar, right? I think the first Bitcoin I bought or mined was around $1.70, $1.72, something like that. Yeah, so. I remember that. That was a time when it was like $1 to $5. And it's funny because Bitcoin always had like, it went to like a few dollars, crashed to, then went to like a little higher crash, a little higher crash. And, you know, it's always had the, these cycles and stuff. So you launched this company. Now, were you scared when launching that company? Because that's always like a big move. Early on in your career, what was going through your head? Yeah, I, I guess for me, Bitcoin was such a brand new industry that nobody really knew what it was all about, right? There was only you know a bunch of nerds on the internet um, and a couple of websites on the internet at the time. Right now, it's a much bigger thing, right? Trillions of dollars, you know, it's all over the place, dedicated websites, all of this kind of stuff. Back then, there was like a couple of websites, you know, a couple of places where you could buy it and they're all in a bunch of strange countries. Um, so I, I sort of knew that I had this domain knowledge and expertise of something which was not a traditional industry. So if I was starting some other company, let's say, um, I don't know, uh, like a, I don't know, a shipping company or something like that, certainly that's a, an established business. There's people in there that, that know what they're doing and, and they know that industry very well and I would be totally new. But the thing was, I was kind of at the uh, at the forefront of this brand new industry, so there wasn't really anyone that had been in it, you know, longer than me or had some domain knowledge that was, you know, a massive benefit or something like that. So I was like, hey, um, yeah, look, it is a little bit intimidating, but um, this is an area that I, I know a lot about, just self taught, and uh, I think that yeah, maybe I can I can make a, a good go of it. Now, how did the company go? Because I remember back in the day, it was hard to buy Bitcoin, hard to do everything. I think Mount Gox was the only exchange I remember. Right. So how was it? Yeah, I mean, well, so when I was still back in Australia, just when I was doing crypto as a hobby, there was only really like one or two exchanges in the world. There, there was Mount Gox in Japan, uh, which later blew up. That's another story. Um, but uh, I used to uh, go down to the bank uh, a couple of times a week and I would wire money to Japan in Australian dollars, pay the one couple of percent fee. The money arrives there. I buy Bitcoin, then I'd sell it back in Australia for two point two percent, and I'd I keep doing that. Maybe I could do that flip maybe two to three times a week, and uh, that would be some great you know side money. So um, yeah, look, it it wasn't very developed at the time. Um, there wasn't that many exchanges, and that's why when we went there, we were literally you know I say the first in the world to do crypto remittance because there was literally nobody else doing it. Um, there wasn't that many exchanges, so and it, it only just exponentially increased from from that time on really uh, about the 2014 era and uh, and at the time like you know asia was was booming that was a place to be for crypto still is and um yeah for, for that sort of reason i decided well i'm probably going to try it in a new country where things are you know easier or you know booming and where the customers are so that's why we decided to get on a plane now what what came next with that company through that, you know, kind of the startup journey, right? A lot of founders will talk about this. I was 
So I was, uh, when I went to Hong Kong, I got there and started the company with about 110K of my own money, um, which for a startup is, is not really too much. Um, and we sort of burned through that pretty quickly. Then I had to go and raise money. Um, but, you know, we didn't really have any more money. So we had to go and find investors. You know, I had no, no idea about how deals are structured, what's seed round, what's a series A round, what's with, totally new to this whole thing. Um, I was living in a, in a capsule hotel for three and a half years uh, when I was in Hong Kong. And if you're familiar with a capsule hotel, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen videos of them in Japan, but it, it's literally just like a bed and you live in a capsule and it's very cheap. Um, but Hong Kong's some of the most expensive property in the world. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it was, but I had to do that because, uh, you know, that was, was saving money on my own salary so that we could hire people to, to go and make the dream possible. But so for the next six, seven years, it was all the continuous, um, you know, growth pains of raising money from investors, shaking a lot of hands, you know, doing this, uh, starting with an angel round, then going to a seed round. Um, then doing, you know, another round with say a corporate vendor, uh, various startup accelerators. We did three different startup accelerators. A lot of, a lot of governments and organizations would come to us because literally nobody knew about this crypto thing yet it was booming. So, you know, people like the IMF or central banks would ask me to be like, Hey, what is this thing? Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, we, we just sort of, um, tried to, to, to make things work and, uh, you know, the, the business was, uh, was going well until 2020 and Corona hit. Um, and uh, essentially what we had was a, as a remittance business is a, a lot of these physical cash outlets, you know, like your Western Union shops, right? Physical locations, you go there, you give the cash, and then the cash arrives at the other end somewhere else, right? And we built the software for those physical outlets. So we're just a software provider. We're not the outlets ourselves. Um, but all of those outlets got shut for like the next eight months, all of our customers went to zero, essentially. Um, so from that, you know, when that first started, we were like, hey, you know what? We might just uh, wrap up the company and return money to, to the shareholders. Uh, we were profitable at the time, but we were seeing that, look, this thing's probably not going not, not gonna to wrap up for at least another six, eight months. And what are we going to do? We're just going to burn money until that stage. So, so we decided to, to, to wrap that up and uh, yeah, sort of, uh, early 2020, um, you know, we did that, and uh, and then I was off on my next adventure to uh, eventually lead to to where I am now. So you kind of, you know, shut down the company. What was going through your mind? Because that's always tough, right? You you've been doing this, you know, the six seven years. You made a lot of sacrifices, but you know, you you have to do what you have to do, and it was a very different time, right? Something you couldn't have expected. Yeah, look, it, it is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life, 100%. Because, and certainly when it's your first company, um, you know, you, you have a lot of attachment to that, right? And, and that's been your whole life, your whole being, your whole personality, everything for like the last six, seven years. And, uh, you know, it, it's very hard to imagine a life without that. You know, you've been spending every single day, you've been raising this money, you've been, you know, living in capsules, all these sorts of things to make it a success. And then, you know, you have to make the, the tough decision, um, you know, to, to close it down. So, yeah, look, it, we were, uh, I struggled for a while, um, you know, with that. And, uh, yeah, look, it was very tough, but it had to be done. And I think it was the right decision. Certainly was the right decision now in hindsight. It, it was difficult. And then sort of after that, um, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, I, I'm definitely going to find another company and start my next thing. The question is what? And then it's like, you have to have something that you're passionate about, right? You have to, 
Uh, I was certainly passionate about you know money transfers and using cryptocurrency for that instead of banks. So it's like if, if I'm not going to be doing this, uh, it's not like I can pull out a you know a rolodex with a bunch of different ideas. Like yeah, you've got ideas, but you got to investigate them, right? And you know which one's going to stick? What are you passionate about? What do you want to make a life with? Um, so that was sort of the next steps after that. Yeah. So would you end up sticking to? Well, we kind of know. Yeah. So but... after Hong Kong, I, so I left Hong Kong when the sort of world was starting to shut down, and I went to New Zealand for about eight months. Um, I thought, hey, New Zealand, bottom of the world there. That's probably going to be as far away from <laughs> from anything that that you can get, and it's good clarity to you know think of the next thing. So um, I was uh, I was investigated a couple of different startup ideas. I spent about sixty k of my own money on on trying to get some of these things up and running, which was pretty much most of my money that I had at the time. Um, and uh, and one of them was a solar uh, solar idea. So essentially, um, tokenizing solar power and then selling the units oh, nice. uh, in in crypto. Yeah, so um, I, I still think it has legs. I, I spoke to people like Tesla and the local uh, energy companies in NZ, but required a lot of like physical infrastructure. And I was used to building like software products where it's like you just have a laptop, but like having physical stuff is like a crazy new world to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so did spent a bit of money, investigated, decided that that wasn't the way. Um, and then through that, uh, I was also kind of like before I was doing this this DeFi thing, this the decentralized finance thing, which really started um, taking off maybe two, three years ago. And I was doing that on the side and I was like, hey, you know what? Maybe this is, I mean, crypto is what I know. That's been all my life. Maybe I should just be focusing you know, back on what I know. And uh, this DeFi thing is, is really interesting and exciting. And uh, yeah, I sort of was able to, to, to make enough money from that to, to start the, the next thing. What was that next thing? Next thing? Uh, well, I, I guess uh, early this year, a couple of buddies of mine were thinking, you know, what, what's something that we can build in DeFi, which is actually, you know, solving a problem and uh, is, is going to be useful. So uh, we decided to enter a hackathon um, with, you know, like I said, some buddies, which I hadn't really seen for like 10 years, um, you know, since I was back or well, a little bit less than that, but, you know, when I was you know, back in Australia. So um, decided to, to start this thing. We entered the hackathon. It was great. Um, we learned a lot. And uh, eventually out of it, we were like, well, what we've built is a way for people to, to buy and sell cryptocurrency easier in an automated way. But you know what people really need is that there's all of these different products out there in crypto land. There's lending products, there's swapping products, there's farm yield farms, they call them. Um, what about we build something that, that brings all of that together in one place? You know, one dashboard, one tab, one place where you can see your entire portfolio just at a glance. And that's what Step is. So we, we decided to start Step and, uh, and, and go from there. And, and it's been a pretty crazy journey since. Again, went down the fundraising route. A lot easier this time, though, because, um, you know, second time round, I think for most founders, you, you kind of know the people that are good and not uh, when, when you're raising money and you have a network and connections. So. Um, so that certainly helped. But um, yeah, Step is a portfolio manager for all of these different DeFi apps uh, that, that are out there. I mean, I I love it because keeping track of crypto, I remember I had like a, whatever, the Binance, a KuCoin, and then you have to go to some other exchange to get this other new coin. And it, it, it just gets tough to keep track of, right? And so having these, I think I have like an app on my phone just to see my wallets and see the portfolio value because it's like all over the place, right? It's it's tough. 
That's it. And that was one of the, like, it is a core problem that because it's growing so quickly, like there's hundreds of teams popping up all over the place. There's all of this investment money going in, but it's like, okay, uh, there's a new thing popping up every week. Where can you track this? Is there somewhere that, that you can track this? And what we have to do now is we're a little bit on a hamster wheel because there's so many things popping up that we're continuously having to integrate them, right? And we have to have conversations with all these different teams across the ecosystem. And hey, it, it's it's really fun and it's it's exciting to see like things just booming so much. Yeah. So what would you say, you know, looking back on your career, what were the things that you did right? You're like, well, I'm glad I made that decision. Yeah, and that's it, a good question. And in, in I, terms of like the skills, like I'm glad I focus on that skill. I'm glad I picked this up. Yeah. So I guess what I'm glad about, so I, I used to say my best teacher that I ever had was google.com. Uh, and that's because a lot of what I learned um, is just self-taught. You know, I taught myself crypto stuff, a lot of the engineering stuff as well. Um, you know, everything about starting a company. Um, there was no rule book. There was no mentor. There was no one to really turn to, to, to get that information. So I, I guess one of the really important skills is having the ability to independently research and uncover knowledge yourself. Um, and a lot of people, you know, when they leave school, school is a very, it's an atmosphere that doesn't really promote that. Like there is a curriculum, there is tests, there is things which you have to do at every stage. Everyone has to do exactly the same thing. And then everyone is expected to go on exactly the same path, at least, you know, in the school that I went to. Um, so the sort of independent learning is not something which you really have an opportunity for. You know, everyone is just going, you know, okay, I sit in school for all of these years and someone up the front tells me what, what to, to do and say and think. And then I go to a university and exactly the same thing happens there. Um, whereas, you know, I would much rather say that I think people should really reflect every single day, like what is it that you want to do? Keep asking yourself that question and keep, keep learning and, and learn about things in your own time. And if you keep asking yourself every single day, eventually you'll come up with an answer. It might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but if you keep at it long enough, you'll eventually have the answer. And, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to sort of stumble upon an area which I was pretty interested in was like the tech and the finance crossing over. Um, but uh, it could be anything, right? That, that just happened to be, you know, what I was, I was interested in. What were some of the big mistakes you made? Yeah, um, I mean, lots. <laughs> it, it could be, I remember so many deals that went wrong, you know, certain investors, you take, you think it means one thing, it doesn't mean the other, you know, um, or not being a, a managing people very well. Um, you know, that was a, another regret. Um, so yeah, look, I, I think there's just a lot of, a lot of the learnings which I've had have just been by making mistakes and that that's just the best way to learn. And, uh, you know, I, I can certainly maybe impart some of those learnings, but I think for anyone out there that's looking to start their own thing, um, learning from mistakes is, is the best way. But the only way you do that is to make mistakes. And the only way to do that is to actually do something. So step one, do something, make a mistake, and then you're going to go learn from it. Um, but yeah, we had some deals where uh, it, we didn't know, you know, in the, in the first round, they would be asking for like 50% equity. We didn't know if that was a good deal. Is that reasonable? Don't know. Never done a startup. You know, I was completely oblivious to this. I was like early 20s. Um, and yeah, it turns back now and I'm like, wow, that was a terrible deal. Um, or there would be, uh, yeah, just, just people that, um, you know, they would only work if they had some equity stake and then, okay, what, what's it worth? And then it's like, well, 
you've been with us for three months and now you want five, ten percent of the company, like how did that sound silly? Um, but then just, you know, just staffing and that sort of thing. So yeah, look, there's just lots of um lots of things that you learn along the way. Um also, I guess living in a capsule for the, for three and a half years is not good for mental health as well. Um so but I, I guess I didn't have a an opportunity or I, I didn't earn enough money really to have a proper place. And Hong Kong's really expensive. So it is what it is, but if if you do have the ability to make your personal space just a little bit more um, livable or at least less mentally taxing from as a founder, like there's a lot of mentally taxing stuff as a founder, but if you can just make your living space a little bit easier to deal with, then <laughs> that's also so, warranted. I mean, what did you own like when you had the capsule? One suitcase. And I used to stash it under my, under my capsule bed. Um, so like every, and it was in like a shared dormitory as well. So like whenever I would like take a shower in the morning, you'd have to like go under the bed, like take the suitcase out, like get the clothes, take your towel to, to like the showers and then, and then come back. And of course, there's nowhere to, there's no kitchen or anything, right? So um, I would have a 7-Eleven sandwiches, which were about 11 Hong Kong dollars, um, which is about $1.50. Um, that would be sometimes lunch. Um, and yeah, just noodles and ramen and like typical like startup kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's just, it was, it was cost effective to do that <laughs> and I could survive. Now looking right back, how has the industry changed over time? Well, in our particular industry, like, like I said, it started off as nobody knew it. Uh, it was very technical. Um, and you know, there, there wasn't much, um, financial involvement from anyone really serious, right? It was kind of just a bunch of people on the internet selling each other random points. Um, but now you have so much more professionalization, I guess. Um, you have all of these websites and, and education uh, outlets. There's even degrees in, in cryptocurrency. Yeah, degrees? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's blockchain degrees now. Okay. I think like five or so universities have them. Um, so yeah, like it is just... Um, it exploded. So there is a really big difference. But I think like, I think back to, to the early days and, and how things were. And I, I think from those days, a lot of people were, nowadays you can get lost in the mayhem. Yeah. But back then it was about the philosophy and the philosophy was really important. That's why I was attracted to it as well in the early days was that, you know, having a non, non-state money and something which is a money which is set by mathematics and not people. And it doesn't have you know, the, the problems with you can have a good human in charge or you can have a bad human in charge. You know, that's kind of bad, right? Can be good for sometimes, but bad for others. Um, I think that was really appealing is just having, you know, one plus one is two. You know, why can't we have a, a monetary system that's as simple and as straightforward and as transparent as that? Um, so the philosophy was really important. Um, and back then, that was what it was all about. That, that's what everyone was into it for. Um, but now, not so much because it's just a much more developed industry. There's all of these different things around and it can get lost. So I always retain that sort of core philosophy about why crypto and why is it important. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's important to have a non-state money and something which is backed by mathematics and, and not people. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the philosophy that, you know, drove a lot of people in the beginning. It was just cool and then you know, transaction fees weren't anything crazy and all that stuff. And there's still a lot of development and it's cool to see all these projects. Now, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment? Biggest accomplishment? Um, and we can go personal and professional. Yeah, I, I think learning, well, 
I made a lot of mistakes and some of them I learned from and some of them I didn't. And that was, that was a problem. Um, but I, I think having that experience of doing that first company was my biggest accomplishment. It didn't work out, but I still think it's an accomplishment. Um, because you never get to number two, you never get to step two unless you do step one. So, like, I think my biggest accomplishment was, um, you know, going through that whole founder journey and, you know, doing those, you know, hard hours and, you know, meeting all of these different people and trying to raise money and trying to handle staffing and all this kind of stuff and internal strife as well. Um, so I think that was, that was a big thing. Yeah. I, I, another thing, I guess, just, um, personally, maybe is, uh, the ability to be independent in your thinking and learning. You know, like I said, you know, when I went back to Google as my best tutor, um, yeah, it really was. Yeah. Like everything I would just go and learn on, on the internet. Um, so, so yeah, I think personally that was, a, that, that was a really good thing. Where does someone go to learn blockchain? Like now there's a lot of resources, but before what? It was a lot of forums and stuff, right? Yeah, forums. Uh, there was literally the main Bitcoin website. That was it, Bitcoin.org. Okay. Uh, but it was mainly forum posts and people would just post on the forums there. Now you've got like type in how does Bitcoin work and you get a million videos on YouTube. Um, there's degrees, the University of Nicosia degree that you can do that's online. Um, I think, you know, MIT even have a degree, a course, which you can do now. Um, and that's through their Coursera things, so also online and free. Um, so yeah, like now I think there's there's a lot of outlets. Just again, type it into Google and find out yourself. Um, but uh, yeah, there's um, there's way more outlets. That doesn't mean that the knowledge is is better. I think it has to start from a foundation. Um, so I think the the philosophy is the the first starting point. So reading the Bitcoin white paper is a is a good start. And doing that once you know that, and uh, you realize you know maybe why this anonymous person called Satoshi made this Bitcoin, um, you know, read that. And it's not it's not a big read, but I think that will start you on the journey. Yeah, no, I mean, you know what? I got to read it. I've never read it. I know about it and all that stuff. But no, you know what? That's something I'm going to do. Now, in this industry, was there ever a time a lack of a college degree held you back? Certainly when I first started, you know, and, and so when I came out of school and I had nothing, you know, failed school, not good enough to get into university, uh, I was very limited in the job opportunities which I had, um, but that was because I was thinking about it the wrong way. I was not thinking about creating my own thing um, or just being the be that person that has that domain knowledge and expertise in that particular category that's so good that they don't. If you go like when the boss used to come into me in the manufacturing department and say, "Hey, you know what's the deal with this?" I was the person that piped up and I was. The, the person that knew what I was talking about. And that was because I had a lot of domain expertise in that particular area. Didn't matter if I had a degree or not. They didn't care. They were like, hey, this, this person's awesome. They know what they're doing, right? So I think that's the key thing, right? And so it, it, it does hold you back if you're looking to go down that same path, which everyone goes down. Uh, but maybe that's not the best path. And, and I think if, if you can A, do your own thing, B, find your own way, um, or, or C, have or, or accrue domain knowledge in your particular industry or something you know, that you're good at. And then when you reach out to people, let's say you want a job somewhere and you have that domain knowledge and expertise, they're probably going to hire you and they're not going to care because they know that you're the best. You're just the person that knows everything. So of course they're going to hire you. They're not even going to think twice. And that's, I think, a realization which a lot of people 
don't really get to is they think, well, in order for anyone to even consider me, I need a piece of paper behind my name. And it's like, no, no. If you're that impressive person that can impress upon someone how you're the best person for the job, like nine times out of 10, you're probably going to get that job. Um, that's just what I found. No, it's so true. It's Because at the end of the day, a job, they hire you to solve a problem. They hire you to fix something. There's a need. If you can demonstrate that you can solve that need, your background matters a lot less, right? And obviously, in some cases, you need licenses and all that. So you have to get that. But, you know, in a lot of areas, it's like, hey, you have the knowledge, you have the passion, you have the thing. And another thing that I tell a lot of people, PC building is a great way to start. Especially now, it's not as like, before it was a super nerdy, right? Only like a, now it's like, it's becoming much more mainstream. And it's actually a great way to really meet people. I think my business partner has built PCs for several people and it's, it's just a good conversation. And I actually, I'll show you, I have a, I have a custom built PC and it, it just leads to good things. And, you know, you could do a lot and people ask you, people ask you questions and you'll be known as that PC guy and people always kind of come back to you. Now, have you personally ever felt insecure about not having a degree? No. Um, and the reason I guess for this was, when the, the teachers would say, oh, George could have tried better, I think deep down there was probably something along the lines of, well, George probably does know that he can do better, but he's just not interested in it. Um, so I guess that I always knew that um, I could achieve whatever level my peers were doing or, or anything like that, but I just had no interest in doing it. So I never really felt uh, you know, down or guilty about it. It was kind of like, oh, okay, you know, I'm in this position now. What's what can I do from here? You know, what are the available doors which can be open, uh, you know, for me from here? So, yeah, look, I, I think maybe some people um, maybe get to a point where they might feel a little, little bit down or something. But I think just internally, if you know that uh, that you have a drive for something, I don't think anyone's going to stop you, and I, I don't think anyone's going to tell you that, or, or maybe you 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 might have reservations, but. Like I said, if you're that person who has that domain expertise and you're just always going to be the, the most uh, eloquent and intelligent person in the room about that particular topic um, or that particular thing or that particular skill, I mean, you, you're going you're gonna to know that you're on the right track. Um, it's just about finding, I guess, the ways to monetize that, right? Like how can you, sure, you can have a skill, but is a skill actually productive that someone's going to pay you for it? Um, that's another thing, right? And I think, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of people through the internet now are seeing that you know they can be freelancers from their house doing whatever and uh, and or they can make their own um, you know I don't know whatever it might be content creation and uh, it, it, it can work out really well um, so like it, there's no real limits I guess now well there's I guess there are limits but there's less in terms of um, you know being able to show your skill to the world and being able to get that recognition. Whereas before, it was like, okay, well, I hope, you know, who's my friend group? I, maybe I live in a town in the middle of nowhere, right? Like, oh, there's not many opportunities in this particular place. It's like, well, you just got to broaden your horizons. You got to get like, get on the internet, but do something there where your audience is the entire world. And that's much better than, you know, much, you know, a very small town or something like that. Now, how do you think the education system can be improved so someone like you is more interested early and is, you know, kind of learning? Yeah, I mean the education system in general in, in most you know OECD countries I think is pretty bad, um, and that's because it kind of treats people like a factory, 
And it's kind of, you go there, you have 30 people in a classroom, you all face the front, you sit at a desk, you do that for six, seven hours a day. You learn prescribed things, which everyone else, you know, has also learned. And are they the right things? Don't know. Um, so, it, and really this way of schooling um, started in the 1800s with Prussia and it was to create more amenable soldiers uh, for the nation state at the time. So, you know, I, I look back and I go, well, can we do things better than 200 years ago? Um, like surely there's a better way to, to educate, right? Does educate mean that you have this thing called a classroom, four walls, all this time and dedication? I've been really interested in some of these alternative you know, education venues. So places like Khan Academy, I think is amazing, right? Everyone says Khan Academy, but really it is, it is amazing. Like if I had just watched the Khan Academy videos instead of going to five years of schooling, I would have done so much better <laughs> and I would know so much more. Um, so, you know, I think that's certainly, you know, one thing is that um, it's not one size fits all. And the education system tries to force a particular, you know, one size fits all on everyone. Like everyone's a pupil, they all do the same thing and then they get rated on the exact same criteria. There's not really like, you know, some people are just not predisposed to whatever it might be, art or mathematics or, um, I don't know, English literature or something like that, right? That they, they just, it just doesn't work for them. And that's okay because there might be another niche which someone is really good at. But because the, the education system is very sort of narrow um, and it's like, hey, if I want to go in and learn how to uh, be a plumber, uh, at age 16, 17, something like that. Um, certainly when I was growing up in Australia, you would earn like way more doing that than you would in most other jobs. Um, actually, one of the things, the first things I applied for was um, a, a truck driver in the mines. And uh, that's because everyone in school was saying you go to a mine and you can drive a truck for 200K a year. And I was like, okay, well, that sounds good. It's better than a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's like if you're just, you know, chasing that. But yeah, like it, it could be anything, right? Um, it's just that the education system doesn't have that flexibility. It doesn't teach you, you know, how to be a plumber or how to be a, you know, a truck driver or how to be something that is useful for the economy. Um, it, it churns out according to a, a system which is not in line with the actual real demands of the economy. Um, maybe there should be more coding in schools. Maybe there should be blockchain courses. I don't know. Whatever the demand of the, the economy is, that should really dictate you know, how schooling works, I think. And there's really that disconnect at the moment. No, oh, very true. Now, looking back, what would you do if you're 18 years old again? What would you do differently? You're 18 years old today. You, and you have some of the knowledge you have now. Don't sell the Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all made that mistake. Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, probably, I think in, in when I first left school, uh, it was all a bit overwhelming and there was maybe a period of it, a year or two where I was trying these different diplomas and it wasn't really working out. Um, and often I would go, well, look, I, I like building computers as a hobby, but surely I couldn't do that as a job, right? I need to do something else that's, I don't know, a bit more respectable or something like that. Um, but actually, I should have just done that. So it's like, find out what you're good at and then just narrow down on that thing. And if, if, you, if you don't know what the answer is and you don't know what you're good at, just keep asking yourself the question and keep like investigating it uh, every single day. And eventually you'll ask yourself the question, you'll come up with an answer. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I would say um, forget about trialing these other strange diploma things. Just go straight into to tech, straight up um, and, uh, and go on an apprentice somewhere or something like that. I think that'd be a good start. No, that's a good way. Now, what would you tell an 18-year-old today 
you know, so, or someone younger or a career switcher who's looking to sort of get into the blockchain crypto space, how would you tell them to sort of get their feet wet? Well, I think it's really cool for, for young people in crypto uh, that everything is online, everything is using Discord, everything's using Twitter and social media. Um, so all of the best knowledge, I would say, is actually on a lot of the social media channels. Uh, and on discords. That's where, you know, if you can ingest all of that, you'll make millions of dollars. Um, so, and, and, but and young people are predisposed to that, right? So I would say get involved in these communities, in these different crypto projects. Um, if you're interested in them, um, be that person that speaks up, be the one in the channel who's helping solve problems. Um, eventually people will notice you and they'll go, hey, you know, that's a community manager right there. Um, and uh, you, you probably get hired. Maybe that's your first job. Um, and I think that would be a really logical path that I would see for, for someone younger. Uh, in fact, we had someone like that that we've hired uh, at Step recently as well. You know, he's, um, he's currently, you know, still doing schooling, but, um, you know, he's answering questions in the Discord and, and doing all this kind of stuff and uh, is just really on the ball. And because they're immersed in that world all the time, um, you know, they're going to be the domain experts. So, yeah, just, just get out there, join these projects, make a noise, try and learn. Um, and be the person that speaks up and they always see your name. They always see you are the one who's answering the questions. You are the one who's dictating the chat. You know, you are the one who's, who's this kind of leader. Uh, and that will get noticed. Uh, that's, that's good advice. And you know, it's crazy. I was on Twitter the other day. There was some 17-year-old. He's like, yeah, I'm making five figures and I should be hitting like, I was like, damn, 17 years old. That's a freaking lot of money. I was like, I know. it's great. And you know, it is possible, right? Because there are like alternative schools where you, can work and you can kind of, you know, homeschool options and it's just kind of crazy. And then there are some people who actually in the US, you know what they do? They drop out, they get their GED so then they can legally start working and then, you know, they start early. So there are a lot of different strategies if you're creative and smart. You know, there are many ways to sort of do things. Now, is there anything that you want to kind of share that you haven't shared already? Um, I, I guess, no, the main point is action, I guess, is, is the main differentiator between like, if you want to go and start your own thing as a founder and go on that journey, you just got to take that action. And I guess what I was willing to do, and I guess what I'm still willing to do, um, which maybe is, is another thing is that people are often willing to do crazy things, jump on a plane, go to a new country, start a new startup, live in a cubicle in their early twenties. But then people say, oh, well, you know, I'm a bit older now, so I can't really do that. I think I've got to keep forcing myself to take those risks because if you don't, then you know you you sort of cordon yourself off, and you kind of um, get stuck in a rut, perhaps, or, or you you don't really progress. So I would say that you know keep forcing yourself to keep taking those risks, and sure, like some are going to pay off, some are not. It is what it is. You've got to have that expectation. You've got to be okay with it. Um, but I think if you're if you're going to try and start your new thing, you're going to be okay with it. You know, in the first instance, you're probably expecting it to go to zero. And hey, if it makes something of it, great. <laughs> it could go to zero. It is It is what it is. You try again. Yeah, no, I've seen it. You got to have that risk. You got to be able to take risk because it's like, or else the young people are just going to surpass you. So I, I really want to thank you for your time. How would people go about supporting you, supporting your mission or following you? Sure. Uh, I guess Twitter is the best place. I'm George underscore Harrop on Twitter. Otherwise, step.finance is, is our website and our platform. We've got a Discord there. We've got a cool community. Come and join. Uh, I'm always chiming in in the chat there. So um, yeah, please feel free to, to reach out. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. 
Looking forward to the wild, wild west of the crypto space in the next few years. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics about bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them. We got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.